Blog Talk Radio. Kinging waves, Fox Beard, Locker's acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very hot. Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wet, Chekhov's wearing red. Tita's cat, Kim Pack's hat, you is had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are And good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in the United States of America, and that means we are live, and that means you can call 646-668-2433, and you can be part of this momentous show. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. 646-668-2433 is our number, and we'll be here live for the next two hours. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and with me as usual are my truck experts, and we'll start off with Charles tonight. He's out in Las Vegas. How you doing, Charles? I'm doing good. Enjoying kind of our crazy weather here of our roller coaster. So I still think we're getting an early spring coming through. Oh, no. That, that's but, not what Pakistani Phil said. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, I will announce that I got some good news yesterday. I got shot oh, yesterday. Oh, good I got my first. I got my first dose of the uh, uh, fi- uh, uh, biotech. Pfizer. Yeah. Pfizer Biotech, since I'm an essential employee. Wow. For you. That's pretty That's cool. awesome. Yep. And, uh, we also have with us Eric. Eric is out in Portland. How you doing tonight, Eric? Oh, uh, man, I am doing really good. We are having atypical weather. Guess what, Jim? It's snowing here. Yes, in the Willamette Not Valley, yet. it's snowing, which almost never happens. And it's so, snowing here in Vermont, too. <laughs> look at that. I'm sure it's snowing much more there than it is here, but it is legit. I mean, there's accumulation happening as I speak, as I look out my window here. So who knows how much, but it's kind of fun to watch. Wow. That's, that's wow. Mother nature has been crazy. So listen, guys, we have a great yeah. show planned for you guys tonight because there's no new Star Trek. This gives us an opportunity to go back and revisit some of our favorites from the past. And for tonight's show, I've chosen two of my favorites, actually, from Star Trek, the original series. We're going to be talking about Balance of Terror and the Enterprises, and in particular, Romulans. These are the two, the only two episodes of the original series that featured the Romulans. So we're going to dive in and talk about that. So you guys want to get your Romulan facts together and uh, your facts about Balance of Terror, Enterprise, and Incident, and give us a call first. Dun, dun, dun. We have Star Trek news. We got lots of great news. We have Star Trek birthdays. We have all kinds of fun stuff. But before we do that, I want to say thank you 
to all of our fans because we just broke 33,000 followers. We picked up 2,000 new fans since last Thursday. 2,000. That's incredible. So uh, thank you so much to each and every one of you guys out there that's following our Facebook page. If you're listening to this and you want to be part of our family, then you can go to Trek Talking and Beyond, spell that all out um, at Facebook.com, and uh, give us a follow, and you'll never miss any of the exciting things that we have planned. So, Eric, let's go around the globe and see what our international listeners are up to. What do you say? That sounds like an excellent idea. I can't believe we gained 2,000 people this week on Facebook. That is something else. And as always, about three-quarters of our listeners come from the United States. But uh, here we are with our international listeners. Staying in that number one spot is the U.K. with 4.54% of our listeners. That's over 4.5% of our listeners. That's the highest the U.K. has ever been. So that's very exciting to see them topping out that list. In that number two spot, the folks down under with 3.48% of our listeners, which is down just a skosh from last week. Uh, it's almost like the UK and Australia separated by a tenth of a percent in uh, their respective directions. So they're down, but still in that number two spot. In our number three spot, can you believe it? Making a surge, almost like the old days, 2.8% of our listeners now hail from Canada. That's right. They snuck into number five and they snuck Right into number three. How about that, guys? That's pretty cool. <laughs> and you know what? You know what's cool about that? The borders between the United States and Canada might be shut down, but we know no borders because we're on the Internet. So we, we can go right into Canada and, and soak up all those Canadian Trekkies. That's and pretty cool. And thank you so much for welcoming us into your homes. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, in our number four spot for our international listeners this week, we have Norway holding steady with 2.69% of our listeners, which is just about where they were last week. And in that number five spot, Ireland with 2.34% of our listeners. So thank you one and all to all of our domestic and international listeners. Whew, we couldn't do it without you. And it's so much fun to have you all along for the ride, isn't it, Jim? Oh, it's great. And you know what? Um, not only do we want to say Thank you to our international listeners and the countries they hail from. But if you head over to our Facebook page, and I just told you guys how you can do that, you will see the Live Long and Prosper logo right at the top of our page. It's pinned up there. And go in there and tell us where you're listening from. And every week I pick 15 lucky listeners. If you see a heart name, if you see a heart from Trek Talking next to your name, that means your name is going to be on the show. And we give individual fan shout-outs to our individual listeners um, on the show. We're just about to do that. So, Eric, who do you have on your fan shout-out list? Well, my first fan shout-out, this goes out to someone from South Australia. That's right, somebody from our number two international listening country, Jackie Hewitt. Jackie, thank you so much for visiting our Facebook page, and thank you so much for listening to us. Ah. So cool, South Australia. I gotta go there one of these days. I have never been there, but it sounds like it might be pretty interesting. Thank you so much, Jackie. We're also giving a big old shout out this week to Kevin Rogers from Rochdale, England. Kevin, thank you so much for listening to us. Stéphane Lacerte from Quebec, Canada. Ah, you're listening to us too. One of those 
folks who's now in our number three spot, international listeners, Stefan, thank you so much. Michael Butler from Sydney, Australia, says that he's a Voyager fan. Me too, buddy. Michael Butler from South Australia, Sydney, Australia, excuse me. Thank you so much for listening to us. And my last one this week is from one of our top fans, which means that they are uh, very interactive on our Facebook page. Facebook gives them this little top fan status. And so we're saying a special thank you this week to top fan Hoffer Tibor from Tanabaya, Hungary. That's right. All the way from Hungary. Thank you so much, Hoffer, for listening to us. Charles, who you have on your list this week? Well, let's start off with Kathy Ramone from Brisbane, Australia. Another one of our regulars, another one of our people from down under. Then I've got a top fan from Patsfield, England. Our top fan of David Spencer. And then another top fan from East London, England. Brian Kamiri. Ah, uh, so our Englanders. Then we got Andrew Bell from Huntington Beach, California. I wonder if it's beach weather yet. <laughs> and then we've got Xandra Richardson from Las Vegas, Nevada. The name doesn't sound familiar, but never know in this city. Jim, what about you? Well, I'm going to wrap up our fan shout-outs with another top fan. I'm Michael Lutz from Pawtucket, Rhode Island in the United States of America. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Mary Ellen Jeffrey from Somerset, Kentucky is also listening, and we appreciate it. We'd also like to give a huge, huge fan shout-out to our top fan, Don Haymaker, who's from Virginia. And who else? Let me scroll down here. I would also like to say thank you to Tommy Hutchison, from Doncaster, England. And finally, oh my God, <laughs> last but definitely not least. <laughs> you got this, Jim. You can do we, it. I, I'm going to do it. We'd like to say a huge hearty thank you and kapla to Tobias Richard Von Werner from Ostenburg, oh. Northern Bavaria, Germany. I think it's Aschaffenburg. Schottenberg. Okay. So thank you for listening for listening to us, Tobias, and in Bavaria, Germany. <laughs> there you cool. go. <laughs> I, I, I like that. I'll take it. And if you guys would like to hear your name on a future fan shout out, just head over to our Facebook page and tell us where you're listening from. And if you see a heart next to your name, you're going to be on the show. And now. We go to our Star Trek birthday. That was not a Klingon song. And for our birthdays, we always start out remembering the members of our Star Trek family who are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, our first uh, happy birthday and remembrance this week goes out to actor Sam Gilman, who played Doc Holliday in the TOS episode Spectre of the Gun. 
everyone's favorite gambler, gunfighter, and dentist. Uh, happy birthday to Sam Gilman today. Also, happy birthday and remembrances go out to Michael Strong, who played Dr. Roger Corby uh, in the TOS episode, What Little Girls Are Made Of, which I always remembered back, uh, you know, everybody thinks Data was the first Android. Well, uh, nope, very early in TOS, Androids were introduced, and uh, Dr. Roger Corby, uh, former fiancé of Nurse Chapel, uh, was in that episode as that actor, or as that character. So uh, great job, and very compelling character. Thank you, Michael Strong. We miss you. We're also saying happy birthday and remembrances to Barry Ingham this week who played Danilo O'Dell in the TNG episode, Up the Ladder. Um, she is um, the Irish lass, I will say, <laughs> who uh, ends up sort of, I won't say seducing Riker, because I think they both fall for each other at the same time. Uh, and it's too bad. It's kind of one of those things that probably would have worked out in another world. Uh, but they just uh, are two different people going two different ways. So they're never able to kind of capitalize on that. But uh Happy birthday to uh, Barry Ingham. Uh, we miss her as well. Uh, happy birthday to Jean Lyons, who played Ambassador Robert Fox on the TOS episode, A Taste of Armageddon, uh, another very cool character. We're also saying happy birthday and remembrances to Judith Anderson, uh, who played the Vulcan priestess Talar in Star Trek III. You'll remember she's the priestess who presided over the... Um, the ceremony of transferring uh, Spock's Katra from McCoy back into uh, Spock number two, so to speak. Um, so cool character, very cool character. Also, happy birthday and remembrances this week to Cecily Adams, who played Ishka. Uh, probably, well, no, absolutely. Uh, although Quark is a close second, my favorite Ferengi. She is otherwise nicknamed Moogie. Of course, uh, the powerhouse, the female powerhouse of Ferengi culture who dares to wear clothes in public and become a business mogul. So uh, she was in uh, five episodes of DS9 uh, as the mother uh, of Cork and Rom, of course, and just fantastic character. So much fun to watch. Uh, and she was just, Cecily Adams was just such a, a cool actress in that role. I don't know which... Do you guys want to say anything about Moogie? She's just one of my favorites from DS9. I love Moogie. I think I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, amazing. And uh, our last remembrance this week goes out to uh, somebody who has a special connection to tonight's show. Uh, in fact, he was one of the prominent characters in t the TOS episode Balance of Terror. He played Lieutenant Stiles, and his name was Paul Comey. Uh, so happy birthday and remembrances go out to Paul Comey. We'll talk about Lieutenant Styles tonight and uh, what he was like in this episode and uh, what it shows us about Star Trek and uh, teaches us about some of Star Trek's, uh, I think, morals and ideals. So he's a key character in that regard. So happy birthday to Paul Comey. Charles, now we move to you for the folks who are still with us that have a birthday this week. All right, we're going to start off with Rico Sisto, who plays the cop in the TNG episode, Derek. Kathleen Peterson, who played Annika Hansen, the seven-year-old, in Voyager's episode, Dark Frontier. And for those that are trying to think of, well, who is Annika Hansen? 
<clears throat> she grew up later and was better known in her new name of Seven or Seven of Nine. But Kathleen played the younger version of her. Richard Lineback played Ramus in TNG Symbolist and Selen and played Selen Piers in DS9 <clears throat> and back in to Sick in Enterprises Zindi. Elizabeth Hoffman played Premier Vani in TNG's The Price. Stephen Gregory played Jake Kirkland in TNG's Coming of Age. This one I was surprised I got to say. A very warm, happy birthday to Ethan, Ethan Phillips, better known as Neelix in Voyager. I love Neelix. Definitely an interesting conversation with Felix, it was Neelix in that character. And then, um, <clears throat> slightly off Star Trek's birthday that we get to have, we get a warm birthday greeting to Rod Roddenberry, <clears throat> son of our creator, Gene Roddenberry. We get some interesting birthdays. How about you, Jim? Well, wrapping up the birthdays, we want to say happy birthday to Corey Danziger, who plays Jake Potts in the TNG episode Brothers. And uh, we also want to say happy birthday to Mariana Hill, who played Dr. Helen Noel in the TOS episode Dagger of the Mind. Uh, this next one is an interesting one. Uh, we'd like to say happy birthday to Megan Gallagher. Now, Megan Gallagher played Morell in the Invasive Procedures episode of Deep Space Nine. Uh, she also played uh, Jarn in the Voyager episode, Body and Soul. But I think the role that most people would recognize her for, and the role that I think might be the better of the three, was Faith Garland in the DS9 episode, Little Green Men, which I thought was spectacular when we find out that it was actually Quark that crashed in Roswell, New Mexico. And they had the the universal translators that were embedded in their heads that weren't working and they kept tapping on their heads. And I love that yeah. episode. So Such a perfect now we know time. the truth about yeah. what happened at Roswell. <laughs> it was actually Quark. <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah. So happy birthday to Megan. I uh, would also like to say happy birthday to Sam Bartholome, who played Danby Connor in the DS in the discovery episode of Vulcan. Hello and battle at the binary stars. And he reprised the same role in the Mirror Universe in Despite Yourself. And, of course, we'd like to say happy birthday to Alice Eve, who played Dr. Carol Marcus in the Star Trek Into Darkness. She played a great Carol Marcus. I, I felt a lot younger, uh, a, a different version of Carol Marcus than the one that, that B.B. played in Star Trek Two. So happy birthday to Alice. A uh, birthday is being celebrated today, matter of fact, is Philip Anglin, who played Vedic Burial in DS9. A great, great, great character. Awesome mm-hmm. character, actually. And I saved the best two for last. And if you guys have ever listened to any of our podcasts, I'm a huge music connoisseur. I love music. Music will make or break a movie or a TV episode for me. And um, that's the first thing I will notice 
will be the music. So the first birthday that I want to mention, I put on our Facebook page, and I got some flack from Star Trek fans about it. But if you're going to talk about music uh, mogul, gods of the soundtrack, um, this man's name is going to be right there on the top of the list. And, of course, I'm talking about John Williams, uh, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, um, Superman, Close Encounters, mm-hmm. Jaws. Mm-hmm. I mean, Me Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah. This guy has had his yeah. any 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 song that you would hear that would remind you of a movie, a classic blockbuster, probably was written by John Williams, an absolute mogul. But not to be outdone, uh, I think the the next birthday is the <laughs> Star Trek mogul, and I this is why I bring him up last. Um, after John Williams, and I'll explain that in a second, Jerry Goldsmith. Now, mm-hmm. Jerry Goldsmith hasn't had the huge commercial success that John Williams did. However, he has created some of the best Star Trek soundtracks, and I'm going to say something right now that I think I've said in the past. I think that there are two quintessential science fiction soundtracks out there today that I would hazard, in my opinion, to say are the best. The first one, I would say, would be Star Wars. The original Star Wars. No episode, nothing, but just Star Wars. Okay? But there is one that, in my opinion, is better than that one, and that's by Jerry Goldsmith, and that's Star Trek The Motion Picture. I think the soundtrack for Star Trek The Motion Picture is phenomenal. I think it's incredible. And, uh, in fact, I was listening to it when I was working for the notes on tonight's show. I think Jerry Goldsmith just topped everything with Star Trek, the motion picture soundtrack. I think it edges out John Williams just a skosh. But that might be because I'm biased because it's Star Trek. I'm not (laughs) sure. Maybe it's the Klingon attack scene at the beginning. I don't know. It it could uh, be. Yeah, it's a little more uh, in our wheelhouse of Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, he composed the the music for five Star Trek movies. Um, but he, you know, that wasn't like the only thing he did. He also did a whole Rambo franchise, Logan's Run, Planet of the Apes, Patton, Chinatown, Poltergeist, Gremlins, Hoosiers, Total Recall, Air Force One, L.A. Confidential, Mulan, and The Mummy. So those are all pretty solid soundtracks as well. Yes. Yes, they are. So we have some great composers in our birthdays today, and we have some really great Star Trek birthdays. So that is absolutely awesome. So we're just about ready to take our first commercial break, believe it or not. But we do have a caller on the line. So uh, let's see who we have on the line with us tonight before we take our break. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk. And what's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Me? <laughs> you know me. <laughs> I, 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 I think I do know you. The Christopher Plummer guy. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Call me Commander I, I, Richard Kiley. <laughs> I, I recognized oh. the phone number when it popped up. I saw that long number, and I said, that number looks like, like the Switzerland dude. And it is. Yeah, on <laughs> the other awesome. side of the moon. On the oh, other wow. side of the moon. 
That's so cool. That so what so time cool. is it? Where you, what time is it where you are right now? Uh, right now it's uh, one fifty-four a.m. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. Well, thanks for being with us wow. at two o'clock in the morning. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's wow. always my cool. pleasure. Well, we've got a lot to talk about. We've got some fun stuff to cover. We've got a lot of great Star Trek news. We're going to take our very first commercial break for our listeners at Odyssey Radio. Don't touch that dial. Don't run away. We'll be right back after we hear this very interesting, very informative message from Freakopolis Geekery and my friend TJ. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Okay. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Freakopolis Geekery, the premier upstate New York comics and game shop. Centrally located between Saratoga Glens Falls, Ticonderoga, and Rutland, Vermont, the Geekery is a haven for pop culture and science fiction fans. For Star Trek fans, the Geekery features board games like Ascendancy, as well as awesome gaming titles like Star Trek Adventures RPG from Modifius, Star Trek Away Team Zero Clicks, and of course, Star Trek Attack Wing Ship-to-Ship Tactical Combat for the Tabletop. The Geekery hosts casual play sessions, learn-to-play sessions, and sanctioned organized play tournaments with limited edition prize support. You'll also find comics and trade paperbacks at Freakopolis, including Star Trek titles from IDW. Lots of issues are in stock, and special orders are no problem. Whether you visit in person by Shuttlecraft or beam in online to Freakopolis.com, you'll find yourself right at home at the Freakopolis Geekery. And we're back. So... We're going to do a little bit of Star Trek news here for you guys. So in order to do that, we have to hear our lead-in. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level nine authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. So all the articles we're going to talk about, all the, <laughs> all the stuff we're going to talk about right now, all these articles can be found in their entirety on our Facebook page. I've just summarized them to give you guys a little bit of the news of the week, and you guys can go read the articles in their entirety. Now, the first one that we got to talk about, being a huge, huge fan of Klingons as I am, unfortunately, uh, Leslie and I had the opportunity to talk about the loss of Christopher Plummer on Sunday's episode of Stunt Trek, uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about it here tonight. And the first article that um, I want to read for you guys is entitled, Christopher Plummer was a diehard Trekkie before being cast in Star Trek, The Undiscovered Country. It did not take much for William Shatner to convince Christopher Plummer to sign on for 1991 Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. The legendary actor was already a Trekkie. The Oscar-winning plumber died on Friday, unfortunately, at the age of 91. While speaking with Shatner for his 2011 The Captain's Documentary, Plummer revealed that he loved the original series and watched it often. I was a serious Trekkie when it first came out, Plummer told Shatner. I was living in England, although in the 60s, but I watched you on television over and over again. Quipping it was 100 years later when he was asked to join Star Trek VI as the iconic Klingon General Chang. Plummer said he delighted in being bald and sporting the villain's eye patch. Plummer reprised his role from Undiscovered Country for the 2000 video game Star Trek The Klingon Academy. In that game, fans learned how General Chang lost his eye. 
Fellow Canadian Shatner and Plummer had known each other for years prior to working together on Star Trek VI, with both men having starred in productions of the Montreal Repertory Theater. Shatner said via several tweets, a gentleman whose name is Christopher Plummer died today. He was what I would call a friend. I think the final picture of our friendship was in a documentary I was making in which I interviewed him at a theater we had both played at, the Stratford Ontario Festival. We spent the afternoon mm-hmm. laughing and rejoicing in our mutual experiences. That afternoon defined my re- friendship with Chris. I am so sad to lose him, as we all are. Christopher Plummer will be sadly missed. Eric, what do you got for us? Well, we're kind of continuing our discussion of Christopher Plummer a little bit here, and I was so excited to to read this article because uh, Chang is one of my favorites of all time. And I know a lot of people who are really into Klingon say, well, he's not really a Klingon. He's really, you know, he really has this entirely different type of personality. But I actually think that that is what makes him probably one of the most interesting uh, villains out there. This article here is entitled How Christopher Plummer Became One of the Best Villains in Star Trek Movie History. uh, Christopher Plummer stole the show as the Shakespeare-quoting villain General Chang in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. He appeared in over 200 films during a storied career spanning seven decades, Though uh, though he first found fame as Captain Von Trapp in The Sound of Music, that ultimately provided a springboard to an eclectic career that surprised and delighted in equal measure. Plummer was an accomplished theater performer with an uncanny knack for stealing the show in minor yet memorable (laughs) moments, uh, a magnetic presence you simply couldn't take your eyes off of. Uh, Everyone has a favorite Plummer performance, whether it be as Rudyard Kipling in John Huston's The Man Who Would Be King or oh, the recent yes. turn in Rian Johnson's inventive murder mystery, Knives Out. Yet, for Star Trek fans, the late great Oscar winner will also be remembered, of course, as General Chang from Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, an iconic villain and one arguably responsible for rescuing the entire franchise. Leonard Nimoy and writer-director Nicholas Meyer hit upon the idea of using the film as an allegory for the fall of communism with the Klingons cast firmly in the role of Soviet Russia. The film would begin with a Chernobyl-like intergalactic event on the Klingon home planet and their attempts to broker a peace deal with the Federation. It was Meyer who hit upon the idea for a plot that would see Captain Kirk and Dr. McCoy framed for the assassination of the Klingon High Chancellor. An avid Shakespeare fan, Meyer had seen Plummer in several productions through the years. And it was an experience that shaped much of what went into the script for Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, right down to the film's subtitle, which is a direct quote from Hamlet. The role of Chang offered a rare opportunity to share the screen with his friend and rival, and it was one that Plummer relished, imbuing his performance with a sense of theatrically, largely, uh, theatricality, that's a hard word to say, (laughs) largely lacking in the Star Trek universe up until that point. It wasn't a case of Plummer trying to upstage Shatner either. His grandiose performance elevated that of his co-star, bringing an extra dimension to the role of Kirk and his prejudice against the Klingon race. And I think that's one of the coolest things about it because I think Chang is the one who shows Kirk that, uh, you know, not all Klingons are, quote, animals, uh, which is how Kirk tends to think of Klingons. Right, and and I would be remiss, 
and I would be negligent in my duties as a Star Trek fan, a Klingon fan, and the host of this podcast if I didn't play this clip when we're talking about Christopher Plummer and General Chang. Tickle us, do we not laugh? Trick us, do we not bleed? Wrong us, shall we not revenge? Our revels now are ended, Kirk. Cry havoc! And let's put the dogs of war. I am constant as the northern star. I'd give real money if he'd shut up. <laughs> to be or not to be. You know that cry havoc! Um... That's, that's the war cry that uh, myself and a couple of, of Klingon friends of mine always use when we, use, when we play Star Trek Attack Wing. I just love that. Cry havoc and let the dogs of war. I think it's great, and I think Christopher Plummer delivered the line brilliantly, and it's, it's, one of, it's, it's like, beam me up, Scotty, and live long and prosper. It's just <laughs> a classic line. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. I was going to say, I was going to say, it's, a, it's an attack wing line now. Yeah, that was an attack wing, attack wing line. line. <laughs> yep, it <laughs> definitely is. So, uh, Richard, what's your favorite? What's your favorite line from that that Christopher Plummer said in Star Trek VI? Do you have a favorite? Mine. Well, yeah. Well, yeah give you a said it all. <laughs> I mean, what, what can <laughs> I add? I mean. Uh, you know, uh, Shakespeare is my favorite, you know, um, of all time. So um, there's nothing to to be added. Uh, and the deli- uh, delivery that he um, he actually managed to to put in, you know, was spot on. You know, you you, you cannot fail with that. You know, and I believe no, I some some actors uh, w- were inspired when they when they saw him in Star Trek VI. You know. Mm-hmm. Because he, he really role. was powerful in that role, you know, really. Uh, and, and he put meaning in those words, despite being completely, uh, you know, uh, alien to, to the Shakespeare theater, you know, uh, in that uh, situation, you know, he showed fantastic power, you know, and, and presence, you know, and uh, conviction, you know, really, you know, uh, it came from the guts. Yeah, you know, Jim, I agree. You know, Jim, there's one quote uh, that is not in there, though. Oh, oh I know. <laughs> and it may be, it's a pretty good one. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Huh? Which yeah. one? Go ahead, Shannon. Oh, sh- oh, Shannon's with us. Shannon, what's the yes. quote? Shannon, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. You haven't heard Shakespeare until you heard it in the original Klingon. There it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> True. True. I That's remember, another class. I remember uh, Mark Oakland at a Star Trek convention saying that when they decided to do that, it presented problems because the Klingon language does not have to be or not to be, so they had to create it just for Star Trek VI. Yeah. <laughs> True. Which is pretty cool. I read it, too. And and I've seen a performance of Hamlet, uh, you know, done uh, totally – uh, I mean that, that that was online, you know, uh, by a Shakespeare company that was in Klingon costume, and um, they recited awesome. the entire Hamlet play 
in costume in in Klingonese. I mean, I can oh. you imagine that? It's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. It's really amazing. I that would be so only, cool. Uh, I mean, I, I, honest, I, I, I didn't understand a thing because there, there were there were no. <laughs> no, no but you don't need no With Shakespeare, it was like Russian. <laughs> yeah. Or like going to opera. You don't know what they're saying. You just know the story. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it was boy. fascinating, and they played it very well. That, you know. I mm-hmm. bet that would be. So, uh, Charles, you have our next. Uh, a new story to go over with us, and this is a rather this is a oh. good one, I think. Can, can I add something? Yeah. Oh, when absolutely. when he when he delivered, you know, that that famous line um, just mentioned, you know, uh, you haven't, uh, you know, and he he did it so nonchalant, you know, so so you know, easy, you know, easy going, you know. You, you've never heard uh, Shakespeare like, uh, like you uh, you would uh, know it in in, in Klingon. Uh, you know, in Cleveland or, or something, you know, and, and he did it, delivered it so, so very smoothly, you know, like, you know, we were socialized. You know? <laughs> it was funny because of that, you know, although the faces around the table, you know, uh, including uh, <laughs> Bones and that, so <laughs> they were kind of, you know, shocked. <laughs> it was very that funny. Was a great it was scene. very funny. That was a really great scene. It, it was, it was. Yeah. Well, Chekhov claims everything's Russian, so what's the difference? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Chekhov, <laughs> Chekhov, Chekhov's probably like you haven't heard it, so you've heard it in its original Russian. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, that's true. Actually, every play is much better, uh, you know, performed in, in its original language if one can master it. Otherwise, uh, mm-hmm. you have to to have either subtitles or <laughs> somebody that translates for for you. For instance, uh, you know, Cyrano de Bergerac is much better in French than uh, than in English, simply because of the language that flows a little bit better. I'm sorry, I'm uh, I'm, I'm beginning to, to become academic. <laughs> sorry. No, I didn't mean it. That's, that's, that's okay. No, so Charles. So, what is our next news story for our listeners, Charles? Well, this one was a good one because this one I actually followed. I actually went to the YouTube channel was watching these. Paramount's ridiculous TV spots are the most epic crossovers since Avengers Endgame. Uh-huh. Endgame brought viewers an emotional team-up but has nothing on Paramount Plus's Doors Explorer, Beavis and Butthead collaboration. CBS All Access is being rebanded as Paramount Plus, providing a streaming platform for its content from mirror to Viacom CBS Networks starting March 4th. CBS, Nickelodeon, Comedy Central, DEP, MTV, and even the Smithsonian Channel will be available through the hub of this new streaming <coughs> service, <clears throat> along with live sporting events and the CBS All Action Original including <clears throat> Twilight Zone, <clears throat> sorry, you okay? Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Discovery, and Star Trek Strange New World. Mm. The earliest ads for Paramount Plus introduced a team of travelers trying to make their way up the Paramount Mountain. No covered peak, peak screen. The company's logo. The 
group is made up of characters from a wide cross-section network, including included in Paramount Plus, with sports stars, talk show hosts, fictional heroes, and even cartoon characters joining in on the journey. <clears throat> One moment that frames Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Fox, and Venus Butthead in the same shot, while the authoritative narrator speaks of intellect. The characters both fun themselves and each other, playing a trope they're known for in the near parody format. Each ad builds up on the previous to tell a cohesive story of the journey up the Paramount Mountain and how the team contends with the obstacles in the past. One commercial features Star Trek, actually two of them, features Star Trek's Michael Burnham, warning the team that the ice bridge has a crack in it, leading Davis and Butthead to start giggling about the devil and Andre. Crack, crack, he said crack. In the 90-second <laughs> commercial slated to air during the Super Bowl, Patrick Stewart is a dabbler tuxedo wearing, waiting for them at the summit. Sipping drinks, serving to him by Stephen Colbert. He's revealed to be the narrator throughout their journey, an omnipotent being responsible for bringing them up the mountain. You now, gotta you go look at uh, Paramount. You gotta go visit Paramount Plus's YouTube channel and see these videos in sequence. <laughs> they have them all in order, but. Uh, I have a couple to play for you guys, a couple that were mentioned in this article. The first one is Michael Burnham from Star Trek Discovery and Beavis and Butthead. On Paramount Mountain, our heroes continue on step by careful step. We're too heavy. There's a giant crack in the ice. (laughs) She said crack. <laughs> crack. <laughs> giant crack. Hell yeah. Just a big giant crack. Can you just Beavis and Butthead with Star Trek? It's just, just put it work. Mind boggling. Um, <laughs> the next one. Uh, maybe somebody can help me out with this next one. This next one is Mr. Spock from Discovery, or actually it would be from Strange New Worlds, uh, performing a cartoon amputation on a cartoon character that I'm not familiar with. Um, so I can't tell you who he is. But anyway, here's Mr. Spock. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Does anyone know who this character is, this cartoon character? Because I didn't no, recognize him. Not sure. But no idea. No. Here's Mr. Spock performing a cartoon amputation on the side of Paramount Mountain. On Paramount Mountain, conditions are taking a turn. My arm. How bad is it? It's not good. I'm afraid it's public frostbite. We're going to have to amputate. Wait, let's talk about this. And the final one, this is the Super Bowl commercial, and this is what happens when they all reach the summit of the mountain. I 
And so our heroes reach the summit of Paramount Mountain, where they are greeted by a very handsome man in a tuxedo. Patrick Stewart. <laughs> yes. It was I who summoned you all here. But why? Don't you see? This is a metaphor for how we're all streaming on Paramount Plus now. Bingo, genius. <laughs> Sorry, we climbed all the way up this mountain for a metaphor. Well, some of us did. Well, it is elegant storytelling. A little complicated. I lost an arm. I lost a glove. I'm going home. Oh, silly goose, you are home. We live here now on Mount Paramount. Isn't it glorious? What are we supposed to do up here? We dance. Sure, let's make it weirder. Patrick Stewart, you crazy this one. <laughs> this is... So wait, what's happening? We're metaphors. We live here now. Oh. Dance like a metaphor. How hard is that? Come on. Frolic. <laughs> uh. Isn't this delightful? And so they all lived happily ever after on this mountain of entertainment, which is also a streaming service. <laughs> so there you have it. <laughs> Go check out the commercials on uh, YouTube. They're funny. They really are. There's a whole string yeah, of them. Yeah, because you can't see. Free... Yeah, sorry, yeah. but you can't see Spock dancing like a white man on you know on the audio. <laughs> no, you can't. No, you can't. So, uh, anyways, those are the Paramount Plus commercials, uh, Eric. Speaking of Cap, uh, Patrick Stewart, what what do you have for us? Yeah, speaking of our fair captain, Star Trek Picard Season 2, unfortunately, is dealing with a setback as Patrick Stewart's Super Bowl ad launches. This time last which year, we fans... Which we just heard. Which we just did. Uh, yep, exactly. This time last year, fans were just cozying up with a blanket and their first season of Star Trek Picard on CBS All Access. Ah, uh, remember back then, guys. Streaming shows are on less of a stringent schedule than network shows, but after getting renewed for season two in a normal year, one would assume the show would be coming back sooner rather than later. Unfortunately, due to that pesky culprit COVID, things are a whole lot more complicated in 2021. Many fans have been chomping at the bit to dive into new episodes, but unfortunately, the showrunner on Star Trek Picard, Alex Kurtzman, was interviewed about all things Star Trek and didn't have the happiest of news. Uh, He said... Things are just starting to shoot again. We would have been a production already on Picard, but we couldn't because of COVID. It's pushed our Discovery and Strange New Worlds dates just a bit, but I think we're actually planning on staying on track for those. So that's kind of, I don't know what that means. By the time they shoot, we will have innovated with a couple more shows, and we will know where we are, and we will be a little more down with the process. We won't be getting season two anywhere close to a year out from when we got season one, unfortunately. The, new, the good news is that the show does seem to be finally getting off the ground for season two, and it's happening just in time for CBS All Access to become, of course, Paramount Plus, as we just discussed. Kurtzman says that Star Trek Picard, uh, the cast, is using the pods method to make sure that if COVID reaches set, it won't affect the entire cast so that things can keep moving, even if there are further setbacks. He revealed... So I'm hopeful. It's a very systematized, militarized operation now that's really rigorous, being constructed around making sure that everybody is safe and that the set functions in pods so that if one person is sick, 
It does not necessarily infect the entire group. And uh, that seems like a very sound way to proceed right now. Uh, and I'm happy that they're able to work on it at all, honestly. Um, you know, sad that we have such a long time now to wait till we get some new Star Trek, but sounds like things are kind of chugging along at the pace that they can. So that's that's good news for Star Trek Picard. Yep, that, that definitely is. And uh, Charles, you have one for us that we haven't had in a while. It's been a long time since we've We've had this segment, so take it away. Uh, yeah. In fact, I was almost going to text. I was almost going to message you with this one. This one caught my attention on the non-Star Trek forward web or uh, Facebook page. We get to have a little bit of our favorite. Shatner says, "What? Your <laughs> Shatner getting involved in?" Star Wars arguments now and joking about Mark Hamill to boot. Of course he is. Yeah. Well, my, this was an interesting, interesting topic bumped up. William Shatner is always up for a good pop culture debate. For example, he's been the first to explain to you on Twitter why Star Trek is better than Star Wars. Of course, he's a guy who would become Captain Kirk knows more about the galaxy far, far away than you'd expect. Shatner ended up schooling somebody in a legend canon during a conversation about the sexuality of various 70s big screen space heroes, because that's always where the conversation ends up. I've been involved in that conversation. Conversation started following rumors that the new Star Trek spin-off series might include a version of James C. Kirk that was bisexual. William Shatner said he's fine with such a decision if it's made, but that one might expect the conversation didn't end up there. One fan remarked that Mark Hamill had said similar things about Luke Skywalker. Someone responded that since Jedi are basically monks, Relationships were never important to Luke Skywalker. And then William Shatner had to go and he first bubble. <laughs> Shatner said via Twitter, Luke got married in Star Wars canon. So unless Tatooine was representative, repressive, and he was hiding, it looks like he chose a woman named Mara. Star Wars versus Star Trek battle will likely go on forever as with most, most pop culture smackdowns. <clears throat> They're not all that important, and hopefully people will have fun with them more than anything. And if you have any questions concerning the lore of either franchise, you can apparently ask William Shatner. It's unclear <laughs> how much ha- Mark Hamill knows about the history of Star Trek, though. Ooh, that'd be interesting to know. <laughs> yeah, that is a good one. That is really good <laughs> I'm not sure exactly where the lore occurs, but Supposedly, there's somewhere out there where Skywalker did get did fall in love with somebody. So, mm-hmm. well, so there Shatner you go. would know, right? There you go, Captain Kirk. Shatner says, "What?" Shatner says, So, <laughs> anytime we can get a, a good story from Shatner, I'll throw it in there. Uh huh. So, um. Yeah, there's one more story I want to bring up with you guys here tonight. We got a couple others. We'll move them to next week. 
But there's a brand-new game that just came out called New Retro-Style Star Trek Kobayashi Maru Web Game Promises to be Nearly Impossible to Beat. I can tell you it is. I've played it a dozen times, and I have died every time. It is so hard, and it's so aggravating. Oh, my God. Yeah. But I How keep you playing cheat? it. Go, go figure. So, um, just cheat. Uh, uh, today, game company Scopely that makes That's the popular funny. mobile game Star Trek Starfleet Command launched Star Trek Kobayashi Maru, a free de- de- uh, decision-driven retro-style web-based game that brings the iconic Kobayashi Maru test to life. Scopely promises the game is fun to play but nearly impossible to beat. I can attest to that. As part of this choice-based interactive experience, the player assumes the role of a Starfleet cadet facing the Kobayashi Maru for the first time. No, I faced it five times and still blew it. Only, only choosing precisely the right path through endless perilous options will the player succeed where so many others have failed. Star Trek II came out in 1982, and the Kobayashi Maru game plays homage to the 1980s with an 8-bit retro-inspired artwork and animation. Star Trek Kobayashi Maru is free to play and now available to global community uh, Star Trek fans at KobayashiMaru.com. Now, guys, so cool. you got, if you haven't played this game, check it out. Um, like, like I said, it's 80s version. Um, it's, not, it's, it's a point-and-click game. No fancy graphics or anything like that, but it is so fun. And uh, I'll give you a hint. Don't beam over to Space Station K7 to rescue the Tellarite because he's infected <laughs> with his Klingon pimples, and the Klingon pimples will burst, and you'll get infected with Klingon pimples yeah. and die. So yeah. I'm just going to... Uh, okay. you. Thank you. Never follow the rules. Never follow the rules. That's right. <laughs> so, I had no idea that Klingon pimples could kill you, but apparently they do because they killed me. So, well, glad it works didn't kill people. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so stay away from those Klingon pimples because they'll kill you. But the game is fun, and I, I survived for nine minutes before the Klingon pimples got me. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's a fun game. I, it, it's not complicated. The, the graphics are not spectacular. Um, the music is not spectacular, but it's fun. And uh, see if you can make it longer than nine minutes. That's, that was my limit. Um, I figured, you know, I'd get through it, but nine the Klingon pimples got me. <laughs> you got to watch those, <laughs> you gotta watch those Klingon pimples. <laughs> I, oh, they're I weird. I had no idea that. That Klingon pimples even existed. Never mind that they could pop and kill you, but apparently they do. So guys, um, but it wasn't Klingon. Believe it or not, um, we have to take another commercial break for our listeners at Odyssey Radio. Um, Don't touch your dial. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this really awesome commercial from a good friend of mine at a local radio station. Trek talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. Okay, and we're back. We're talking about Klingon pimples that explode and kill you. All kinds of fun stuff. You, 
You just <laughs> you would never know where we're gonna go on Trek Talk, do ya? We wander. We wander. We wander everywhere. But we did manage to My squeeze Planet of the Apes in, so Leslie would be happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So I promised you guys at the top of the show that we were going to talk about Star Trek, the original series, Balance of Terror, and that's what we're about to do. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. If you'd like to call and share your opinions about Romulan, about Klingon pimples, about anything, give us a call and we'll get you on the air. All right. So Balance of Terror is the 14th episode of the first season of Star Trek. It was written by Paul Schneider and directed by Vincent McEvity. It first aired on December 15, 1966, and it was repeat broadcast on August 3, 1967. The plot of this episode is based on the 1957 film The Enemy Below, with the Enterprise taking the part of the American destroyer and the bird of prey with his cloaking device taking the part of the submarine. The Romulan helmets shown aboard the Romulan bridge were designed to cover the ears of the actors. This saved the additional cost of creating prosthetic ear points for each of the supporting actors. They were reused in a mock time on the Vulcans and the Enterprise incident for the same reason, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, Two of the actors playing Romulans in this episode later played Vulcan characters, Mark Leonard, who will play Ferric, and Lawrence Montague, who will play Stan. So... I put up on our on our Facebook page. I wanted to see what the fans thought about this particular episode. So, Charles, what on a on a score of one to ten, I asked the fans to give it a rating, with ten being the best. And what did our fans have to say about Balance of Terror? Well, I got a string of top fans. John Day Wheeler, top fan, gave it a nine. Mary Mary Ellen, also a top fan, gave it a nine. Ray Jackson, a top fan, gave it a 9. Kathy Perry, a top fan, gave it a 10. And regular fan Tom Gregory gave it a 10, my favorite episode. Okay, so Making that's the a fan score of these people, Giving these, these fans an average score of 9.4. Go on. 9.4. Wow. So let's listen to the trailer for Balance of Terror, and then we're going to dive right in and talk about it. Captain's log, stardate 1710.0. The starship Enterprise is under heavy attack by an enemy vessel. Obviously, their weaponry is superior to ours, and they have a practical invisibility screen. Helm, hard over. Phasers, fire, point blank. I'm pointing out that we could have Romulan spies aboard this ship. The Earth commander will follow. He must. And when he attacks, we will destroy him. Permit me the glory of the kill, commander. Thomas is... We have him. Move toward him. We can get just one phaser going. Phasers, Mr. Spock. Impossible, Captain. We have some of the old-style nuclear warheads aboard. Yes, Commander, but only for self-destruction. Place one in with the debris. The balance of terror. So, um, first Star Trek convention that I ever ran, Mark Leonard was a guest there. And Mark Leonard said that the, he much would rather have played the Romulan commander than 
uh, Sarek because he felt that the Romulan uh, commander was a much deeper character and had a lot more to play with than uh, Sarek did. And, of course, he went on to be known as Sarek, Spock's father. So that's kind of ironic that the character he preferred was the character that died. But um, Mark Leonard felt that the Romulan commander was a much much more well-rounded character and a more interesting character to play. Um, I also, one of the things that, that I liked about this particular episode is the character of Styles. And I think that with Styles, what, what, what we learn with Styles is that Styles has a family history with the Romulans. And I think that anytime there's a conflict, I think the, the generation preceding that conflict has the hardest time dealing with the resolution of that conflict. And, uh, and this was a theory, this was actually uh, addressed in Star Trek VI when, when Gorkhan says that to Captain Kirk. He says, if there is going to be a brave new world, we will have the hardest time living in it. And I think Stiles pretty much shows that in this episode with his, his hatred for the Romulans and his just utter uh, distrust of Mr. Spock when they find out that Vulcans and Romulans look the same. So, uh, Charles, what did you think about this episode? Oh, this was definitely an interesting episode. We we don't know a lot of details, but we find out from this episode that this war that occurred between the Earth and Romulans was a long, hard battle of a lot of ship-to-ship battle, but it was an era where there was no visual communication between ships. So the Earth, uh, the two factions never looked at each other. So neither one actually has ever seen the other. And in fact, this reaches the point where the Romulans actually... Earth has now actually got a visual of what Romulans look like, but Romulans still did not know what Earth Terran people looked like. But it was interesting because during the war, they had created the neutral zone. And yet, this ship decided to challenge the neutral zone because he wanted to sit there and prove himself to the Romulan society that he was a strong warrior. And it was definitely an interesting episode to get a first taste of what Romulans are going to be like and what's up for the future. But definitely Mark Leonard played a great Romulan. Mm -hmm. I liked Mark Leonard in this episode. Shannon, did you get a chance to watch this episode yet? That's actually what I was doing before I came on. (laughs) Oh, okay. So it's fresh in your mind. (laughs) Yes, it is. And actually, um, I missed as a kid that they were the same person. Mark Leonard was the same person. You know? Um, So my favorite thing tonight was when he said, you know, in another universe, we could be friends because yeah. they end up being friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So cool. Mm-hmm. That is true. That is true. Uh, Richard, what do you think about this one? 
You like this one? What are you doing? You, you mean me? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, my name is actually Patrick. But <laughs> oh. I was joking about the Richard Kiley. <laughs> no, it's it's my alter ego in, in Star Trek. <laughs> Next generation. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got confused. <laughs> well, okay. um, I, I love okay. the Mark, uh, Mark Leonard uh, in everything he was in. Like like Christopher uh, uh, Plumber, he was a classic actor, also ca- coming from the stage. And his delivery was, was magnificent. Uh, I, I, I loved every minute. But I, I also loved uh, his playing, uh, you know, Sarek. Uh, because he really, you know, felt it, and you could uh, feel with him, especially in the last episode where where he dies, you know, as a as Spock's father, you know, uh, he was magnificent, and it was very uh, a very t- touching moment, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, in Balance of Terror, he he really distinguished it himself, and that's probably why he actually then moved on in the movies, but and in uh, the Next Generation as well, but. Um, you know, in Balance of Terror, he really gave a, um, a legendary performance as the commander. And uh, it was kind of, you know, leveled, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm, again, speaking as a, as a theater person and so on. But really, uh, it, it was a, a smooth going, you know. Uh, he didn't, uh, you know, uh, put too much, you know, uh, heavy stuff in it, but dramatized it quite well. I don't know if, oh, I, if I, I made myself clear. Mm-hmm. I could see him spouting some Shakespeare, you know, cry havoc. I mean, it would have been oh, perfect yes. coming out. Oh, yes. He, <laughs> he he probably could have done the, the, the same. I mean, I could, <laughs> I would see the two, you know, Christopher and him sitting <laughs> together as Klingons, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. having fun with Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> and and the crew of uh, of Star Trek uh, of of uh, the Enterprise completely flabbergasted. What are they doing, those guys? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but Balance of Terror was one of the excellent episodes of uh, of the original series. To, to oh say the, the truth, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Even though Absolutely. it was an adaptation, uh, as you said, of uh, you know uh, the enemy below, you know uh, which featured uh, you know uh, Robin Mitchum and uh, Kurt Jurgens, you know, but uh, yeah, uh, it was uh, although it was an adaptation, it w- it was very well done, and admirable is in 50 minutes they could actually compress an otherwise a uh, hundred minute m- movie. So in half a time they told the same story. But in a different way, and much better, I would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and if you guys don't remember, um, this episode starts off with a wedding, and yep. uh, yeah. Tomlinson yeah. is yeah. getting married, and he's he's the phaser operator, and he's gonna get he's mm-hmm. getting married at the beginning. He dies, and Styles has to take his uh. place at the phaser control, uh. and then the right. noxious right. black gas goes in there and is going to kill him and Spock has to go in and save somebody and Spock yeah. chooses Styles and mm-hmm. Tomlinson dies and which was an interesting choice for Spock to make after what Styles uh, said and did yeah. but yeah so that episode actually starts with a wedding believe mm-hmm. it or not 
True. So, Eric, what are your thoughts on the balance of terror? Wow, there are so many great, like, Star Trek things that are set up in this, not only that became part of later canon, but, uh, you know, everybody is talking about Mark Leonard's performance. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think the what's interesting is that both this episode and the next episode, I think a, a, um, a similarity that I noticed that is completely different from TNG is that I don't think we're seeing sneaky Romulans here at all. Uh, the one thing I will say is that we do have, you know, apparently the Romulan commander ship is the one that actually went and destroyed all of these things along the border, these outposts along the border. So, uh, you know, I mean, that could have been just because they felt threatened by all of these mm-hmm. things. Um, what's interesting is that you get the, the kind of world famous uh, map, our first map of the neutral zone and how the planets Romulus uh, and Remus are on one side. And I think Kirk says something about pretty much the whole rest of the galaxies on the other side. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> Federation faces on the other side. And, um, and it, 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 it he, the Romulan commander himself is such a, um, he actually, you know what hit me this time watching, and I've seen this episode probably a dozen times or more. And the, this time I actually, the thing that I got was that his story is not unlike Pike's in that he he seems like he's kind of he's either longing for death or another war and he certainly is not into politics i mean he keeps talking to these uh you know sub commanders and centurion dudes he says your praetor you know yeah. he refers to he, he like externalizes that as if he's outside the romulan government and and he spends this whole episode kind of um you know, he's not really actively involved in what's going on in the bridge. He's kind of shouting out orders, but he's always looking off in the distance, kind of thinking about what's going on inside his head first. So he's this, this real, like, internally reflective character that I think um, doesn't, you know, if I, uh, like me, I probably saw this episode after I saw TNG Romulans. This gives you a totally different Romulan from the sneaky, backstabbing Romulan that we all have come to know and love, and it humanizes the Romulans right away. And I, so I believe, that, yeah. If I, if I may, yes, I believe it, it, it ties a little bit into you know Roman ancient uh, Roman history. You know the generals mm-hmm. that uh, were out you know for glory and so mm-hmm. on, and if if they lost, you know, they uh, they just you know. Uh, fell on their swords, yeah. you know, uh, to uh, to live in glory or die uh, uh, with honor, you know, and, and yeah. that, something like that, you know, and yeah. and this ties with General Chang again, you know, he too was out for war, you know, uh, an honorable war naturally, uh, he wanted uh, he wanted to to be a contendant to to you know uh, Captain Kirk, and the same thing here. Although he respected uh, the commander, the Romulan commander respected uh, his, uh, you know, oppo- uh, opponent um, uh, faction, but you know, still, he, he would have died before uh, committing something uh, dishonorable and so on. And in fact, mm-hmm. and uh, he mm-hmm. blows up uh, the, the ship and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I just think that's really special, and it, 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 what I think it sets up the Romulans right from the beginning. If you were watching these chronologically, right. as as a as an honorable race who just likes war, 
which is interesting because the Klingons are the ones who in TNG end up being the honorable ones who like war and actually TOS Klingons were kind of goofballs, right? They didn't like, they didn't exude honor (laughs) the same way that TNG Klingons exude honor. So anyway, that's just one part of this episode, the Romulan commander. I love his character. I love how they, it sets up what a Romulan is supposed to be. So that is super cool. I love the line. Probably my favorite line in the whole episode is the one where finally Kirk has had enough of styles and he's like, leave any bigotry in your quarters. There's no room for it on the bridge. And I think that that's a great way to put that because what he doesn't do is he doesn't say styles. You can't believe what you believe. Right. He doesn't say that. He actually says, okay. Like implicitly what he says is you can believe what you want to believe. Just don't bring it to work with you here. Like there is no room for that while you're here sitting on my bridge. So that to me is a real like pillar of um, Star Trek ideals. You know, if you look back and you kind of like look at the, the touch points that set, what are the Federation ideals? This is one of them when Kirk makes this statement to Styles. So I just think that's so well, cool about this episode. Doesn't, doesn't he, I, mean, I haven't seen the episode. I didn't just watch it recently. I watched it a while ago, but doesn't mm-hmm. he say something to Styles like, well, that was their war. Uh, a long time ago, yeah. where, but doesn't he make a yeah. comment something along those lines that that was their war, not yours? Yeah, something yeah. Like basically that. implied because it's the yeah. very first thing that Styles says about these Romulans. He's like, "Oh, they can't be trusted," and this and that, and and that's the very first thing that that Kirk says about it. Yeah, he goes back and he says, "No, that that was the past. We're dealing with different Romulans right now," and that that's yeah. really awesome. You know, I mean it it shows us that we should approach every interaction sans bias because it's possible that even if that person you know or that group a group of people that you think that person belongs to bit you in the past it doesn't mean that this particular person will bite you and you know right. you right. these relationships and, with an open and, and, so and somehow cool. it, and somehow it, it ties in with the uh, the idic you know, mm-hmm. um, you know infinite yeah. uh, diversity in the infinite, infinite uh, uh, you know forms because because of that mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely yeah. So love that line. And then I think the other thing that I just want to kind of mention specifically, I mean, there's so much in this episode that's so great, but I want to talk about the cloaking device real quick, because in the next episode, oh, yeah. they actually talk about, quote, developing a cloaking device. But in this one, they have something that they call the invisibility screen. And they have questions about whether or not it actually makes the other ship that's not cloaked hard to see for the cloaked ship too, which is, which is kind of an interesting concept that I had never really considered. I never really picked up on that before. So I, you know, it seems to me that the idea is that maybe this is like a prototype cloaking device, maybe like it, what I noticed is that it takes all of the power of the ship to, to operate, right? So you have to basically like shut everything else down for the cloaking device to work, and they keep talking throughout the episode about how much energy it takes. Well, a similar pro- problem, uh, <laughs> uh, a similar problem appeared uh, uh, with the Klingons uh, as well. You know, they, mm-hmm. uh, they they could not fire unless uh, they they uh, you know um, they showed the themselves. Yeah. yeah, and 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 then of course that's a great point there because uh, what do we see in this episode? We see a Romulan. D7, right? And that's never explained. 
it's very clear that it's a Klingon ship because they actually verify it on the screen. They're like, yep, right. it's, made, right. it's made by Klingons. Yep. Uh, and well, you're, you're getting ahead of yourself. You're, uh, oh, is that the next one? The oh, sorry. Next episode. <laughs> sorry, I got ahead. I got ahead. Sorry. I know where I'm at. I gave us notes. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. This episode, yeah. they recognize it as a Romulan because ship. of the bird on the ba- uh, under, right. on the underbelly of the ship. Right. Now, yep. the one thing in this episode that I noticed um, that I wanted to talk about is something that, that I, I don't know why they abandoned it or never used it or whatever. It's kind of like the Genesis device in Transwarp, and that's the mm-hmm. plasma torpedo. Because yeah. if this thing oh, was yeah. able to completely, totally destroy a, an asteroid, uh, uh, several actually outposts with uh-huh. one shot and was able to totally cripple the Enterprise with one shot. Why yeah. is this device never used again, never mentioned again, never talked about again? It just goes away. It just, just uh, they never see it again. Only. Range. Well, I think it's all range. Probably. It's not that. It's not that. Mm-hmm. If you look at Star Trek Attack Wing, what's the one of their earliest weapons? It is not phaser. It is nuclear. We're talking about a nuclear explosion. That yeah, was probably not very healthy to the crew to have that kind of weapon on a ship. Yeah, of course. I would agree. That is different from the plasma torpedoes, though, right? Because in this episode, they shoot the plasma torpedoes at the Enterprise, and they all think mm-hmm. they're going to get blown up. And then they mm-hmm. kind of dissipate as they're coming towards the ship, and then they don't do as much damage as they're supposed to. And they, mm-hmm. they talk about how the things have a limited range. So I wonder yeah. if that is one of the reasons. Like, they only damage an incredibly powerful weapon, but you got to be right there to use it. That's yeah, I, I would think that I would think you 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 would sit there. You'd be a sneaky Romulan. You would sit there, cloak, <laughs> and when they were right there, you'd decloak and launch the thing, recloak and fly away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's it would be I would nice. <laughs> but, but yeah, the whole, so means- the whole space- you're the type. You're the type. Let, let's yeah. talk about the space battle too. The the space battle <laughs> sequence in this episode for the 1960s was pretty complicated. Um, oh, yeah. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a Buck Rogers thing with ship on ships hanging on strings that you could see and stuff like that. <laughs> it looked, it looked really good for a 1960s TV series. Oh, yeah. it, it really, really did. And, um, it looks even better with the remastered version that came out later on. Mm-hmm. Yes. Really, really, really good job. And the music is top notch as well. So no, uh, why don't we, well, So Patrick, what would you give this episode on a score of one to ten? We heard what our fans I would give said. It, what would you say? I would give it a ten. I, I would 10? give it a ten without uh, without that doubt. You know, in, you, in, my, in my understanding, mm-hmm. because of the, the, the entire uh, structure of the episode, you know, the story well told, uh, good acting. You know, not oh, even the Shatner wasn't overacting uh, that much in that episode no. and so on. No, I wasn't. Okay. <laughs> no. Sorry, I'm laughing at my part. So, Shannon, how about you? What would you give this one on a score of one to ten? Oh, I'm going to give it a nine because I'm going to give the next one a higher score. So, you know, there's that. 
<laughs> okay, that's cool. Well, because that's the next one. one is the only All person right. I've ever cosplayed. I actually cosplayed as a Romulus subcommander in the uh, next one. So. Uh, <laughs> okay. Secrets of the heart. So, uh, Charles, how about you? I think I'll agree with the top fans and go with a nine on it. Nine? Mm-hmm. Er- Eric, what about you? Yeah, I think in the same way that I can never go to warp 10, uh, I will give this a <laughs> 9.8, which is much, much higher than a 9.5, you know, than you might think because of that, uh, you know, whole exponential curve thing. <laughs> so 9.8. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know what? I'm, in I'm, that I'm, case, I'm dead. I'm right there with yeah. you. I'm dead. <laughs> I'm dead because... No, you I just cannot... exist in... You just exist in all points of in the universe In different other dimensions. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, this is one of the first Star Trek episodes that, that, that I saw, and, and I was blown away by it. And I'm right there with you, 9.8675309. There you go. <laughs> How's that? Kenny would agree. So, um, Kenny would agree. It's getting very, very difficult here. <laughs> oh, that's what we do best. So listen, guys, we have to take our our listeners at Odyssey Radio. We have to take our last commercial break of the night. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the Enterprise incident right after we hear from Eric. I have the model. Hi, this is Eric from Trek Talking, here to invite you to join us for the best science fiction-themed podcast on the Internet. Our elite team of Trexperts are here to discuss Star Trek and related sci-fi content, and we want to hear from you. Call into the show Thursday nights from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. on the East Coast, and we'll get you on the air to share your opinions. We have faith that you'll call. And we're back, and we do have faith that you'll call. And the number here is 646-668-2433, and we're about to talk about the Enterprise Incident. It's the second episode of the third season of Star Trek. It was written by D.C. Fontana and directed by John Meredith Lucas. It was first Uh broadcast on September 27, 1968. D.C. Fontana's initial inspiration for the story and its title was for the Pueblo incident, which involved the capture of an American intelligence gathering ship, USS Pueblo, by North Korean forces during the Vietnam War. North Korea claimed, without evidence, the ship had violated its territorial waters. The incident occurred on January 23rd, 1968. So that, you know, happened in January, and in September, D.C. Fontana wrote an episode about it. So it was pretty quick and pretty current. And um, we'll we'll get back to that in a second. Uh, This episode featured the very first female starship commander featured on Star Trek. Which is interesting because Captain Kirk tells Janet Lester that women aren't allowed to command starships in the Federation, but the Romulans have no problem handing their starships over to a female commander. So that's interesting. Also, this episode marks the introduction of the Vulcan Death Grip, which doesn't actually exist, but it did in this episode. Luckily. (laughs) And... One more little interesting fact that I wanted to throw out there is that um, the first appearance of the Romulan bird of prey since the Enterprise incident was in Star Trek Picard's Absolute Candor, 
in 2020. You guys remember uh-huh. that's the shift that mm-hmm. yeah. seven of nine gets mm-hmm. in conflict with. Well, that yep. was the yep. first time that a bird of prey had been seen on television since the Enterprise incident episode. So that wow. was a interesting fact. So uh, getting back to DC uh, Fontana, something that I hear on a lot of the Star Trek boards that I visit is people will say that Star Trek has no place for politics. And I always say, oh, excuse please. me, Sorry. jump back. <laughs> oh, Are yeah, you sure. Star Trek at all? Are you watching the mm-hmm. same episodes? Are you in a bubble? And this particular episode <laughs> is a perfect example of that. DC Fontana pulled this episode right out of mm-hmm. the headlines, right out of the Vietnam mm-hmm. War in January of 1968. And in September of 1968, this episode is written and it's taken right from an incident that occurred in the Vietnam War. So Star mm-hmm. Trek has always, always been political, and the stories that Star mm-hmm. Trek tells always uses mm-hmm. political issues of the day, and that's what makes Star Trek political such a, um, and social. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Cool and social, and I think that's what makes Star Trek so uh, captivating to people. So, yeah. anyways, um, now that we know a little bit about it, Eric, what were the fan scores for this episode before we dive into it? Uh, yeah, the fan scores for this one. Uh, let's see here. We had, first of all, our top fan, Jonathan Herkins, gave it a 10. Top fan, mm-hmm. Don Haymaker, gave it a 9. <coughs> Stephen Jones gave it a 3. It could have been much better. Uh, Andreas Casares said a 10. And Daniel Hennessy said an 8. So that whole batch averages out to an 8. An eight. Okay. Nope, they're wrong. So, nope. for, for people that haven't seen the episode, I'm going to play the trailer for you guys, and then we're going to dive right in. That's a Klingon ship. Your ship is surrounded, Captain. You board this ship, I'll blow it up. I must see your authorization. Oh, there. Accept what is happening. I cannot allow the captain to be further destroyed. I say now that Captain Kirk ordered the Enterprise across the neutral zone on his own initiative and his craving for glory. That's a lie! He is not sane. You lie! Until you... We will take a small band of Romulans aboard the Enterprise as its commander. By your own standards of normality, this man is not fully competent. No, not now. The doctor has now confirmed your testimony. I instinctively used the Vulcan death grip. Your instincts are still good. Captain is dead. So there you have it. That's the trailer for the Enterprise incident. And Patrick, why don't we start off with you? What did you think about this episode overall? Well, overall, um, I I liked it very much because, uh, as you said, it, it was taken from a real incident. And it was well played out as well. But this time, I give it uh, just a 9.3, just to, to scale down my, my light speed. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> All right. I can buy that. Okay. Well, cool. let's, uh, let's uh, say nine um, and three quarters. <laughs> nine and three quarters. 
liked it. I enjoyed it. It was tense, though. Very, very tense. Yeah. And yeah, as you said, uh, the, the female commander was, you know, uh, <laughs> a cookie, you know, a, hard, uh, a tough cookie to, to deal with. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, she was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she definitely was. She was a great so, actress as well. Mm-hmm. Why don't you mm-hmm. start us off with this one, Eric? Yeah, so now I can start talking about D7. Sorry, I got ahead of myself there. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> we, so yeah, I mean, I guess let's, I want to end with uh, our dear commanders. So let's talk about the ships uh, first. So yeah, we've got now an episode where uh, Spock says something like, um, the Romulans have developed a cloaking device. And so I think what they did was they forgot what happened back in Balance of Terror <laughs> that there was a cloaking device before. writer. <laughs> and they, uh, they rediscovered that the cloaking device had been previously invented. Um, and, you know, then we get to see the D7. And I don't, I don't know if anybody has any stories about why we see the D7 in this one, but I did think that it was interesting that in the I think it's just the remastered versions we get the Birds of Prey. I don't think the original has those, right? Doesn't the original just show the D7, or am I talking – am I crazy no. on that one? No, what happened was they had built the models for the for the Klingon battle cruisers, and right. they wanted to get their money out, worth out of it. So exactly. that's why they they decided to use that model in this episode, and they had Scotty throw in that line, that's a Klingon ship. Because in those days, uh, uh, building models uh, was an expensive endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then what yeah. that leads into is it becomes part of canon that then somehow the the, the Romulans got a hold of Klingon technology, right? That was, <laughs> which and, I think is cool. Right? You know, question. Even nowadays, you about, have uh, lend lease. Lend lease uh, ships and, uh, and uh, aircraft that are sold to to, to other countries and so on. Sure. So it it would be possible, plausible that whoever's making that and, model and, is selling it to both. Yeah, sure. And Eric, you're absolutely right. When when they made the remastered versions, which I think came out in the early '90s, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, around uh, right around the 25th anniversary of Star Trek, they remastered all yep. the episodes. And when they did right. that, they put the bird of prey on the bottom of the Klingon battle cruiser, but that was not ah. in the original. Exactly. Only in the remastered version. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty interesting. That's when they did and then, that. and then I think, you know, unlike the last episode where I agree, Shannon, uh, it actually was not overacted by Kirk, this one, or by <laughs> Shatner. This one, of course yeah. you get, you get lots of Shatner yelling, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. You know, it's a Spock. So that's, 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 that's more green like, blooded. Like that was the yeah. other well, that was a natural reaction. You know, well, uh, it, because it was played out, you know, it was played out yeah. for the Romulans. That's right. And oh, I, we actually know. Think <laughs> that's, I actually think that that's probably the most brilliant thing about this episode. In addition to the Romulan commander's performance is that we, as the audience are, are brought along in the story and we also don't know what's going on. And there are so many shows where we know what's going on, but the characters don't. And that's interesting. Mm -hmm. But man, if we also don't know what's going on, but the characters do, and we have to discover it, that's much more interesting to me. So I really like that about it. And then, you know, just to talk briefly about the Romulan commander. So I, there's so much to say about her in this episode. 
Here's what I'll say. I found her fascination with Spock fascinating. And I think that it is such, like, not to put too fine a point on it. And I, and I think that it's really this kind of mutual exploration that the two of them go through throughout this episode, right? She has this fascination with Vulcans, but also understands that Spock has a human side and therefore she's able to, um, she, she knows that if she puts her heart out there a little bit, that maybe Spock will reciprocate despite the fact that he's seen as all Vulcan. So I think that's really interesting. And then I think that he actually finds her really fascinating. And although ultimately it's a ruse and, you know, they, they get the enterprise folks get what they need out at the of end. Him. He says he's I, not, he had feelings for her at the end of the episode. He does <laughs> that's, that's, and that's, and that's yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. Shannon, that's where I was going is that he actually admits right. at the very end that no, 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 that's good. I'm glad that you, you saw that too. He admits at the end that he really did have feelings for her and that it wasn't. Actually, uh, you know, Vulcans and, and Romulans are, are practically the same race. Uh, after the Civil War, you know, where the, the, the Vulcans decided to, to go into complete right. logic, you know, uh, then they became another race uh, altogether. But th- they were probably cousins. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that we get more of that story in Enterprise later on. That's just cool. Uh, but, right. but, man, they set it right up in Balance of Terror, right? Right from the beginning, we learned yep. that Vulcans and, and Romulans, well, at least they look, and Spock's the first one to <laughs> yeah. offer conjecture. He's like, well, if we are a part of the same vertebra, it's probably because mm-hmm. of this and that. So, yeah. And unfortunately, so, yeah, go ahead. They, never, they never followed up what happened to the Romulan commander after they brought her back to Starfleet. She kind of just. Uh, she just kind of continues. They have her daughter play her. Oh, do yeah, they? True. On Star, that's true. On Star Trek Continues, they did. But uh, but mm-hmm. the character just kind of. And she was a great character too. She was a wonderful character. Oh yeah. And you know she just kind of disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Charles, yeah. you've been awful quiet here while we've been talking yeah. about this episode. What do you have well, to say about it? One of the things that I will bring up is sometimes you wonder, well, do these kind of incidences become a major part of history or are they just minor in history? Well, it's historical fact that lands through time because Kirk is still disliked by the Romulans. Yep. In the era while we have a captain, I'm losing. During the Picard return, um, Mm-hmm. Ah, I'm losing. I'm losing. <laughs> Riker, when he was captain yep. on board ship, right? Let's just say that Kirk is brought up in the conversation in the beginning of Dark Veil, which is the new Picard novel, in which mm-hmm. the series ah. occurs just after Picard resigns. And Kirk is still hated by the Romulans, even then. 
especially for stealing one of their cloaking devices. So where we think history you know what? Had, if, if, Go ahead, Jim. Let's talk a little bit about that. Because they set up this whole episode, Starfleet risks the Enterprise and Captain Kirk and Spock and their flagship crew to steal a cloaking device that they never use. They get away with never it, seen so. again. Yeah. Um, right. You know, they got it. And that was the first time we ever see a Federation ship cloak when the Enterprise cloaks. And mm-hmm. yet it, it's, I think it's explained in fandom later on. I'm not sure if they mention it well, in the movies or not. That the Treaty of all no, it was in TNG. It was the Treaty yeah, of all Yeah, in the TNG episode, you know, twenty some odd years later, um, why the Federation doesn't cloak, doesn't use cloaking devices, and it kind of goes against the line that we hear in Star Trek Four when Captain Kirk says, "Well, that ship has a cloaking device that cost us a lot." Uh, yeah. When they already had a cloaking device, so you know the cloaking device was, I think, was a a plot device that they forgot about, like Eric had mentioned, <laughs> that they had already they had already addressed it in the previous episode, and uh, it was never really made clear when how they got the Klingons got the ships to the Romulans. Um, well, maybe it I didn't convert to, to their system. In, in the in. Star Trek, in Star Trek Three, the search for Spock, mm-hmm. the cling, the the bird of prey that Commander Krug is flying is actually a stolen Romulan ship. They mm-hmm. steal that ship mm-hmm. from the Romulan, yep. and it's a Romulan yep. ship, and not a Klingon ship. But when they mm-hmm. were producing the movie, they felt that Klingons were more uh, warrior-like than Romulans, so they dumped Romulan and just changed the name to Klingon. But that still never explains where the Klingons got the cloaking device from, because they didn't they didn't use it on TOS. Mm-hmm. So a lot of fans have theorized over the years that what happened was the Romulans went to the Klingons and said, "Hey, look, we got this old bird of prey ship, which is really worthless because it takes too much power to fly. The weapon you have to be right up next to these people. We don't. We we. I tell you what, we have this really cool cloaking device." We would give you the cloaking device if you can give us some battleships with some more modern weapons. The Klingon said, hey, no problem, yeah. dude. And that's how it happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, yeah. That's not canon, but that's what a lot of fans say. Yeah. I would say, too, because that's uh, give and take. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and somewhere along the line, the Romulans became a waste of skin and without honor, and the Klingons uh, nah. Hate them, and they they hate each other. Well, so mm-hmm. so why in TNG? Well, I guess we we may want to talk about this on a future show. But why in TNG did they sort of take the take what I'll say is a little bit of a right turn? I think maybe, and you guys are welcome to disagree with me, but you know, like I said, I don't think we see sneaky Romulans at all in either Balance of Terror or Enterprise Incident. I think that we see no. fairly honorable race who's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you could argue that maybe they're a little aggressive and balance of terror by destroying those outposts, but we don't get the story of why they're doing that. So, you know, there could mm-hmm. be a, a good story in there. We certainly have a very charming and it it seems willing to open her heart and mind person in Enterprise Incident. So, 
you know, mm-hmm. where did this idea that Romulans are sneaky come from? Uh, well, next uh, next week we're going to be talking about an episode of TNG <laughs> called The Neutral Zone. And one of the uh, things that uh, uh, the end of The Neutral Zone is when uh, the Romulan says, we're back. And they've been yeah. gone since I, since this episode, the Enterprise incident was, was the last time the Romulans were ever seen until they showed up in the Neutral Zone episode of TNG. So they were off doing something somewhere. <laughs> Nobody knows. Um, well, they're back. Besides, uh, we're we're going to talk about besides, that next week. And besides, <laughs> the Romulans uh, had also internal problems, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. If you consider, you know, the the, the latest uh, movies uh, in TNG, you know, um, it was kind of revealed that they had internal problems and so on, and they had, uh, you know, that that the special, uh, you know, um, special force uh, within their own government. Uh, I don't remember uh, the name. Talshia. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so they probably had that that kind of uh, thing going on. And that's why they became so devious, you know, because mm-hmm. they, uh, you know, probably uh, had to suspect each other. And at the same time, they uh, they started to su- suspect others, and therefore they decided mm-hmm. to become devious. I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. just fantasizing here. Well, there's one, there's one clue that I think matches with what you're talking about, and it is in the first episode we talked about in Battle to Terror, the Romanian commander – you know, one of his subcommanders comes to him and is like, okay, we've got him in our sights. I'm going to shoot at him. And he's like, no, I need to be the one to do it. So there's that idea uh-huh. that he's the one that has to take the glory because societally that's how it works. And, um, and the Roman commander in Enterprise Incident says the same thing. She says something like, you know, man, if I brought this Enterprise back to my people, this would set me up for life. You know, I just yep. like that. Yep. So. Right. True. By the way, I appreciate the fact that there was no sexist comment about her being out of uniform because I totally expected that from the 60s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, right. uh, she starts in a very similar uniform to the one that uh, Mark Leonard's wearing in Balance of Terror. Right? I know, but right I, mean, I mean when she's in her, her not in her uniform. In her not Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Suppose that once you're off duty, you know, you, yeah. you, you dress up normally. That's right. No different from no, that. No, but Picard still, it was a 60s. Buttoned all the way down to his belly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, she slipped into something more comfortable that looked less comfortable. Yeah, of course. Of well, course. actually, yeah, well. I like the dress, but, you know, I'm about it to was find very that dress. Nice. supposed to. I have her other outfit that, like, it's the only thing I've ever cosplayed. The only character I didn't make up that I cosplayed was her from the Mirror Universe. So, mm-hmm. so cool. Wow. Okay. Cool. Yeah. But it, it is interesting because um, we, well, the other thing we have to remember, too, and this is something that I have to point out to fans over and over and over and over and over, and over again, is that TOS was written in the 60s by people that grew up in the 50s. And Star Trek yeah. is always written by the previous generation for the current generation. Um, yeah, of course. So, uh, and that's just life. I mean, that's just the way things go. But so a lot of the stuff that we see, no, I, the, the writing styles, the techniques, the cinematography, um, the way episodes are structured, uh, are all based on, on that 50s, 60s mentality, like Shannon just said. Yeah. You know, they're, mm-hmm. very sexist because that's the way things were back then. 
And I mean, besides, uh, women at that time were also different. Yeah, yeah there's it's not different. different you know. mm. Yeah, it was just a different time. Mm. So, so mm-hmm. I think that the, the we only saw the Romulans in these two episodes, just twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah. as great as these episodes were, the two of my favorite, we only saw them twice. And um, you know, they came and they went, and that was it. And they moved on to the next episode, and that's the way TV was written. Back in those days, when TNG yeah. came along, you know, 25 years later, um, you know, they had syndication. You know, they had 26 episodes where they could expand and, and do various stories and go in directions that they couldn't go in the 60s. Even so build arcs. Were, yes, and have mm-hmm. arcs. Uh, so in I, I some think way, the writing technique and the writing style of the 60s versus the 80s, I think, also has a big impact on why the Romulans are so different in TOS as they are in TNG. Yeah, probably, yes, yeah. Actually, you know, certainly. And, and on Deep Space yeah. Nine, even, it's a fake! <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, That's I like the, the, the assignment. That's a great scene, yeah. <clears throat> and, and, and uh, you know... One of my favorite characters was the Romulan character that they killed off almost immediately with the cloaking device, but we'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah. think, I think that a lot of times when, when fans talk about these episodes and they look back and they, they, they're not, you got to take these episodes in the context as when they were mm-hmm. written. Yeah. Right. Because even though it's, it's all part of Star Trek, TOS was written in the 60s Enterprise was written in, in 2000 but takes place before TOS same thing with Discovery right. and Strange New Worlds and even though right. those episodes take place in the same time frame they're written in a different <laughs> generation okay. so they're going to have and a different only woman on the call as far as I know um, I will right. say some of the episodes I watched all the episodes like a year and a half ago um, and some of the episodes were hard to watch as a woman but I I watch them knowing that the time they were written in, I understand that. But it's hard to watch some of them now. Yeah. But, but yeah. I think the stories it's are what they are. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was mm-hmm. a different time. And, and you have to take that into account when you're watching but them. My teenager is now watching them, and I have to explain to him that some of that stuff you just have to go over, just keep watching. It's, right. They didn't mean it to be sexist or misogynistic or whatever. That's just the way it was for TV yeah. at the time. <laughs> But already then, uh, for instance, uh, Major B- uh, Barrett uh, already incarnated, uh, um, you know, uh, an advanced w- woman. You know, she was number one in, in the pilot, after mm-hmm. all. Yeah. You know, of course, uh, you know, Je- Jeffrey Hunter had uh, to, to criticize the fact that <laughs> a woman w- was on the bridge, you know, mm-hmm. which uh, he mm-hmm. then uh, suddenly corrected, you know. But yep. you know, <laughs> women started to really, you know, impose themselves, and Star Trek actually somehow uh, helped them, uh, like uh, Nichelle Nichols, for instance, uh, who actually got, uh, you know, a center role in in the series. Yeah, and actually, the episode tonight, she actually stepped up and she was in charge of. She wasn't just answering the phone; she was actually navigating and stuff. She was on the helm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I had never noticed that before. Yeah. Me neither. I noticed yeah. that tonight too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And something else that I want to mention, I think that Strange New World, with the awesome Anson Mount oh, as Captain Pike, um, yes. I think that that show is going to be absolutely phenomenal because 
is going to take place during the TOS era, but it's not yeah. going to have that 60s sexist slant to it. It's going to be more along the lines of, of what Star Trek is. And I think that's going to be that's going to strike a chord with fans that is it's going to be like something they've never experienced before. I think Strange New World is going yeah. to be outstanding. I think. Yeah, so too. That we so, shall see. Anyways, mm-hmm. we are uh, just about out of time, guys. Hard uh-huh. to believe, uh-huh. isn't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> it happens. Very hard to time believe. Time flies. Well, listen, Patrick. Um, I'm glad that you called tonight. Because when you called to talk to me and Leslie about Christopher Plummer on Sunday, Leslie wanted to send yeah. you an autographed picture, kind of saying thank oh. you for calling. So Aww. if you want to go to our, our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond, and just shoot me okay. a message with your address, uh, I will okay. give that to Leslie, and Leslie will send you off an autographed uh, picture, kind of our way of saying thank oh, you for calling. that's nice. Thank you. So thank you very much. If you much. Uh, go over to Trek Talking and Beyond, and just uh, shoot me your address. I'll get it to Leslie. Now the mail uh, is slow because of this COVID thing. I don't know how long it's going to take no, I know. to get from us to Switzerland, but um, it'll get there eventually. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll just hang in there. Eventually. Remember, I'm on the <laughs> other side of the moon. <laughs> That's right. So <laughs> we might be watching Strange New Worlds before it arrives to you, but it will get there. So shoot, shoot me yeah. your address and we'll get you out an autograph picture. Thank you for calling. I will. And, okay. um, not a problem at all. So I, I just want to take an opportunity to say thank you to Shannon for hanging out and chatting with us as well. We always have a chair for you, Shannon. Thanks for calling. Oh, anytime. You're always welcome at our table. And of course, oh. can't do the show without my Trek spurt. So thank you for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight, Charles. We really appreciate it. Oh, always. I always have a blast talking track. We do, and it just goes by so quick, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And we know we're having fun. Yeah, but in space, right no one can, in space, no one can see, uh, can see you cry. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and, uh, of course, I want to say thank you to Eric for hanging out at talking with us tonight. Thank you, Eric. Absolutely. I had a blast as always. Thank you. And, and of course, you know, I saved the biggest and best for last, and that's, of course, Patrick. We really uh, – I can't tell you how thrilled Leslie and I were when you called and how happy I am that you called back tonight so that we can get you an autographed picture in the mail. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for calling us back and hanging out with us and Trek talking with us tonight, Patrick. We really appreciate it. Anytime. I hope I, I, I'm not, a, you know, an, intru- an intruder, but uh, I, I like to talk about uh, Star Trek uh, as well. Not so much about the novels because I, um, I, um, I didn't have a chance to, to read them and so on. So, but w- when it uh, comes to the series, you know, uh, the, the episodes and so on, yeah, I'm well versed uh, uh, in them. Yeah. Well, next week we're going to be talking about the TNG episode Neutral Zone. And the enemy, Good. two of my favorites. Excellent. So that'll be next oh, Thursday. Yeah. So you tune in for that. We Good. have some Star Trek news, Star Trek birthdays, and we're going to have out, hang out, and have some fun. And I want to say thank you oh, to each okay. and every one of you guys listening around the globe because we couldn't do the show without you guys, and we really appreciate your support. So thank you so so much for for supporting us and helping our Facebook page grow. 
like you guys have. Uh, it's phenomenal. It really is. And you guys never, never cease to impress me. So thank you so much for being the great fans that I know that you all are. I really appreciate it. And make sure you head over to our Facebook page at Trek Talking and Beyond. Give us a like, give us a follow, tell us where you're from, and join our family and be part of our conversations. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget, Sunday night is Stunt Treks with yours truly and the one and only Leslie Hoffman on Sunday from mm-hmm. 7 to 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I believe I'll be there. that this week mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about Canadian Star Trek actors ah, and wow. how, it, ah. how it is that Star Trek is able to be filmed in Canada, but not in Hollywood. So that's what we're going to talk about on Sunday. So tune in for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm your most Mm -hmm. excellent host, Uncle Jim, coming at you live from Rutland, Vermont. And I want to say to each and every one of you guys, be good to each other and stay safe. Good night, everybody. You too. Good night. Good night. Good night, y'all. Hailing frequencies are closed. All right, then. Everybody ready? Yes, sir. Let's fly.